<laughs> Good morning, Life Church. It is uh, it's my privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, as Pastor said, I'm I'm the new guy. I'm the noob uh, here on staff. Uh, my name is Jeremy. My wife, beautiful wife Laura is right over here, and uh, we've been doing our best to uh, shake as many hands as meet and meet as many of you as we possibly can. It's been uh, we've only been here two months, but I tell you, it is our distinct privilege uh, to call Life Church home. I, I hope I know maybe you've not been to many other churches or things of that nature. God's doing something here, right? And I love that we serve a pastor who's crazy enough to admit that he's crazy, um, but he's got vision so huge for this church and what's going to happen. And it isn't a question, I wonder if it is going to happen. And uh, it's just a great privilege, uh, again, for us to be a part of this church and to be able to uh, rub shoulders with people like you and uh, to serve under Pastor Ryan's leadership. And um, so there's a, a few things that I just have the opportunity to share with you today. And uh, like Pastor Aaron's really good at doing, um, he said, hey, no pressure, no pressure, but uh, this is the people's first impression of you, and you only get one chance to make a first impression, and, um, and they're probably going to decide if they want to go to the West Campus or not based on how well you do this morning. <laughs> so live the dream, baby, live the dream. Make it rain. Oh. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> no pressure, no pressure. Uh, but I made it through the first service, and I, I fully anticipate and expect that, I'll, that I might even make it through this one, too. So we'll see. Um, yeah, maybe you're aware of this. Pastor Aaron usually preaches off an iPad, and uh, apparently I, I'm on the naughty list because I asked for one this year, and this is what I got. Um, so it's kind of a waste of paper and really hard to take notes on, but I can reboot it as many times as I need to. So I don't know. I'm glad that joke went well, because I, I thought about it, and I was like, nah, I don't know, that, that kind of seems cheesy, so thank, thank you for laughing, um, <laughs> laughing at that, laughing with me, maybe laughing at me, I don't know. Um, here's what I need you to do this morning, is uh, basically I just, I need you to open your Bible, um, basically, honestly, open your Bible almost anywhere, favorite page, favorite passage, fit, you know, anywhere, take, take your iPhone and shake it, see where you end up, and uh, I'll be along there shortly, I got a lot of things I want to talk about this morning. Uh, some of you just got really nervous. You know, he's, he's joking, right? I, I, am, I am joking. Uh, actually, you can turn to Psalms, uh, Psalms uh, 130, and uh, that, that'll be the passage that will land on here in just a few moments. And uh, it's, the, it's the new year. The title of this message is New Year, New You. It's that time of the year where, like Pastor said, uh, we're prone to look at our lives and evaluate. We're prone to look at our lives and reflect. Uh, my family and I did this just this last Friday night uh, around the table. Uh, my wife and I and our three daughters uh, took some time. We said, okay, what was, what was good about 2010? What were some of the favorite moments, some of the favorite things that we did in 2010? Okay, what were some of the not-so-good moments of 2010? And what, how can we learn from those things and make 2011 a little bit better? And because I'm like this, I'm kind of weird like this. Like, I, I typed it all up, and I have, like, a one-page outline and display. Like, my, my three-year-old, you get this? You see this? Um, she's probably not going to understand that. Um, but we took time to reflect and evaluate. And hopefully, you've, you've already taken that time. And if not, my, my goal today is to inspire you um, to do that. Uh, again, I, I believe that next year, this year, 2011, that there's something within it that only God knows and I believe that it's going to be abundantly, exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine, like Pastor already said. Um, there's just been an incredible process that God has brought in my wife and I through. And I just want to take a few moments and kind of explain to you a little bit that process, that story of our lives over the last year, and what has gotten us to this moment right here, right now, being on this stage, uh, speaking to you as a campus pastor for Life Church is a crazy, crazy little ride. Uh, about a year ago, um, Laura and I began a new year, 2010, and, and, and to be honest, within us, um, within us, there was a longing for something more. 
And that's not that anything was wrong or bad or immoral or sinful or anything in our lives. I was on, on, at a staff at a great, on staff at a great church, congregation about 1,500 people. We ran, I was a, a head of our student ministries. We had about 250 kids in our youth group. I had several different staff members uh, on, at our church that reported to me. I was in charge of our interns, two, three, four interns, depending on how many we recruited and how many actually made it, and we didn't kick out halfway through. Um, things were good. Things were really good. By all external things, um, life was good. Uh, but there was this undeniable thing in our hearts. I saying, ah, it's good, but, there's, but it wasn't, in our soul, it wasn't well. And, um, and again, because I'm like this, because I like lists, and I wanted to really try to put my finger on it, and I wanted to set some goals and some resolutions uh, for 2010. So God, here's what I feel like needs to happen in my life. So God, I, I feel like I've lost a little bit of the sense of adventure of following you. And God, I, somehow in 2010, I, I need adventure to be restored to my, to my faith walk. God I, think, God, I think that I've let my joy wane. The, the joy of salvation, the joy of that, that first love. God, can you help me out with joy this year? And lastly, um, just to the issue of faith, I told God, God, I, this year I want to learn how to trust you in a new way. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that feels like, but I somehow I want to trust you, learn to trust you at a level that I've not yet had to learn to trust you. Well, be careful what you ask for, right? <laughs> um, because, gosh darn it, it might just happen. And uh, I just want to kind of unpack this story, and there's, there's a theme or a principle that I will throw at you that, that I think has made all the difference in, uh, in our lives over this last year, as we've said, we long for something more. And I don't think the, the, um, the longing that, that I, that Laura and I had for something more, I don't think that was unique to just us. I think each and every single one of us, were we to look at the last year of our lives, however great, however, you know, not so great it may have been, um, there, within all of us, there's a desire to say, yeah, but the next year is going to be even better, right? There's a great longing for it. The next year is going to be even, even better. And I believe that, that we think that way because that's the way God designed us to think. God gave us this belief that the best is always yet to come. God gave us this belief in, that's, in, in this thing called our blessed hope, eternity with him, right? Things yet to come, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, pressing in, pushing forward. And so again, I don't think it's just unique to me, and I, I, hope, I hope that I can inspire that in you today, and, I, and it probably wouldn't take too much conversation between you and me uh, to, for you to probably say, yeah, I hope 2011 is a little bit better than 2010 was. So it's with that, uh, it's, it's, it's in that vein that we all desire something greater in 2011 that I want to throw this concept at you. And it's not, it's not earth-breaking, it's not ground-shattering or anything like that. I'm kind of a <clears throat> caveman Christian, I don't know, the Geico guy or something. Uh, I like to keep things really simple. Uh, what I found about most Christians, or at least what I know to be true of myself, is that oftentimes I'm educated beyond my level of obedience. And if I could just learn to do some of the basic things right, you know, and not worry about translating the Bible into 18 different, you know, languages and then smuggling into a foreign country, you know, not that there isn't a time or a place for that, but if I could just figure out the basics, I'd probably be a little bit better than I, than I, than I am today. Okay? And so uh, what I want to throw at you is this concept called overflow. Send your notes, overflow, and that's where I'll take us to our passage, Psalms 130. Very simple. All I'm going to do is share this one verse with you and break this verse down, give us some practical application, and, uh, and send us on our way. So overflow, Psalms 130, verse 7, says that with the Lord there is unfailing love, his redemption overflows. Very simply, with the Lord there is unfailing love, and that his redemption overflows. 
The most important thing, this is scary to say this, I'm going to say, like, if you only hear one thing today, which is scary for a pastor to say because then you're like, well, why do I need to listen to the rest then? But nonetheless, if you only hear one thing today, the most important thing is that we understand what it means to be with the Lord. That if 2011 in any way, shape, or form is going to be better than 2010, that it will only be made possible because of the reality that you've determined to be with the Lord. That you've determined to be found in Christ. Philippians uh, 3.8, Paul makes this statement where he says, I consider everything else garbage. I consider everything else rubbish in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. Right? What a great mindset. What a great mentality. What a great power there is in knowing that the best thing that I can do is just determine in my heart to be with Christ. Those of us that are mature in Christ have maybe a little experience with Christ. We know that this is not a promise or a guarantee of you know, pots of rainbow or pots of, of gold and rainbows and unicorns and that life's going to be flowery and perfect all along the way. It's not that promise. But what it is a promise is it's a promise of God's presence in our life. It's a promise of the revelation of his character in our lives. And that's independent of what our current circumstance is. God is not, his goodness isn't, doesn't matter what our situation is. His goodness is his goodness. And that's the power of being with the Lord. To be with the Lord, that means we have to be very intentional about this, this thing that I would just simply call alignment. It isn't the ability for God to align with us, because he's there already. It's our ability to align with him. And unfortunately, the, uh, the gravitational pull of the, the fallen world in which we live in isn't exactly towards unity. Isn't exactly towards alignment. Uh, we see this in the physical world uh, with, like, teeth. Right? Teeth don't naturally stay aligned. I took my daughter to the dentist recently, and we get to work on an orthodontic plan now pretty soon. I'm pretty excited about that. I hear they're real cheap. Um, <laughs> it's good. Uh, you, you know, we see this in backs, right? People's backs don't just naturally stay aligned. How I many people have to frequent a chiropractor often? You don't see very many chiropractors going out of business. Although the, the people right over here, as the Spirit leads, if you want to pray with, for them, uh, we could use their space. Um, so just... Uh, just I'm just, I'm just giving you an opportunity to pray. It's just, it's, uh, so, so we see it in teeth. We see it in backs. We see it in tires. You got to take your car and to get, you know, alignment um, too. But the reality is, and at a much greater scale, we see it in, in families. We see it in marriages. We see it in finances, where the natural tendency over time is that those things begin to kind of drift apart, and it requires us to have a constant attention and an intentionality towards staying in alignment with Christ to be with the Lord. The best way in which we stay with the Lord is simply to know his word. It's to know his word. Romans 10, 15 says that hearing, or 10, 17, excuse me, says consequently, come, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. I can't break it down. I can't make it any more simple. I can't make it any more caveman, but the best thing that you can do to be with God is to know his word. I like the way, too, James 4, 8 lays it out. James 4, 8 just very simply says that if you come near to God, he will come near to you. I, I can understand that. I can do that. And in my scenario where I'm saying, hey, God, these are some things that I'm asking for your, some help on in your life, the determination that I had to make, like no other year, was to say, God, that I'm committed to coming near to you. I want to do whatever I have to do because if I'm going to ask you to show up in my life in this way and to do these things and to accomplish these things, then i got to get close. Lovingly, Heavenly Father, I'm going to get it all up in your grill, right? We're going to be tight. 
And it was the best determination that I made. And it wasn't just an intention. It wasn't just a desire. It wasn't just a really pie-in-the-sky idea. I had to flesh that out. I had to fight for time with God. I had to find quiet times. I had to go pray in closets, janitor closets that nobody knew was in our church that I went and found, and it wasn't pleasant or smelly or, you know, it wasn't good, but it was worth it because I got to be with the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, our ability to be with the Lord is the most important thing. The reason it's so important is because our ability to be with the Lord, that's what builds the trust that although we know that God is always, that, that we know, excuse me, to build the trust that we know that God is with us and, and that we're with him, the reality is that there's going to be times in life where you're going to know that you're with him, you're just not going to be sure he's with you, right? And it isn't that he isn't there, it's just that he might be silent. And, and unfortunately, I can guarantee you this, just like, just like last year, you're probably going to have times this next year where you go through things that you don't totally get it. You don't totally understand why it's happening. But it doesn't mean that God isn't, that God isn't bringing meaning to it. You may feel like there's times where God isn't there, where God is silent. And although he's silent, he is never absent. Right? And there may be times in life that you don't like your current situation. You don't like your current circumstance. It doesn't mean that it isn't a divine appointment. But the only way that you can have that perspective is for you to be wholeheartedly gut level committed to the fact that I am with God no matter what. And if you commit to being with Christ, your life can't help but overflow. The question that, that I asked you guys, and I have some fill in the blanks, but they're really not fill in the blanks that I'm going to give you the answers to. They're fill in the blanks that, that you and God are going to work out. Right? God speaks to individuals. He's going to speak to me, to me about things that I need to work on this year. And I guarantee you that if, he, if you ask him to talk to you about some things you need to work on this year, he'll, he'll, he'll talk to you as well. And so the, the question that I just simply throw here, and it's something that you and God got to sort through, is I'm staying with the Lord by. How is it this year that you're going to fight, you're going to kick, you're going to you know, do whatever you need to do? How is it that you're going to make sure that you stay with the Lord? For me... Uh, this last year, one of the things that I, I just simply committed to doing was I looked at, um, you know, I, I read the Bible clearly, um, but one of the things that I did was I looked at the Bible character of David. David was a guy who was intriguing to me because I, he received what I would consider one of the highest compliments ever. He was called a man after God's own heart. I, I, I could live with that title. That would, be, that would be all right. Oh, yeah, me and God. Oh, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm a man after God's own heart. It's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. And so he's considered a man after God's own heart. And what I, what I did was I just determined that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study him this year. And we know the most about David through Psalms. His relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's most accurately recorded, it's most accurately displayed in Psalms. And so all I did was this last year was I determined that I'm going to read the book of Psalms. 150 chapters. Man, I can read it every other day. A chapter every other day and, I, and be okay. And again, I read other things along with that. Um, but personally, I wanted to read David. A man's after, after God's own heart. And to begin to apply those principles. And what I came to realize is there was times in reading David and in, in reading Psalms uh, that I, I thought David was a little bit of a drama queen. Right? And then there was times that the Holy Spirit reminded me, yeah, sometimes you're like that too. Oh, oh my gosh. No. God, yeah. Yeah, I am. But what I found in, discover, in, in studying David was that David had an incredible, incredible dependency upon Christ. 
Through his failures, through his mistakes, through all those things, he still maintained an incredible dependency upon Jesus Christ. And that David was an amazing worshiper. No matter what, David determined in his heart and his life that he's going to worship. Right? And I think worship is most beautiful when it's the most difficult to pull off. Right? When in my life, I don't feel like worshiping, but I worship anyways. And, I, and David had that ability. And it was something that I just determined to do. For me to stay with God, I was going to read Psalms. I was going to stay with the Lord. I was going to be tight with God by reading Psalms. The other thing that I did, and I'm, this was a new thing for me. I've tried this at different stages in, in my walk with God before. Was I, I, I journaled. Um, I'm, not, I'm all guy when it comes to that. I'm not real big for processing my emotions and thoughts and putting them on paper and then evaluating and reflecting um, you know, that, that just didn't seem like the right thing for me. Uh, I, re- I read a book called Divine Mentor by Wayne Cordero, and it put journaling in a whole new perspective for me. And I found that one of those things, that I was just kind of, oh, that's kind of funky, that it became one of those things that became an insatiable appetite. But I couldn't wait. I could, me, I couldn't wait to sit down and process my thoughts and apply God's scripture and, 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 and pray, uh, do some of those things via my journal that I'd never done before. And it was one of those things that I know kept me with the Lord. It's one of those things that I know put me in a position of overflow. Second portion of that scripture. You guys following me? We all right? Doing okay? How about those Packers? Huh? It was supposed to be a noon game. Now it's a three o'clock game. That's the overflow right there. I'm just, I'm just saying. Just saying. Um, and I, for everyone's sake, I hope they win because I know the Badgers didn't win yesterday. And um, we, just, we just don't need that spirit in this, in this church at all. So... <laughs> And yet I digress. Um, so the next portion of that scripture is uh, with the Lord, and then it talks about that there's unfailing love. With the Lord, and then there's unfailing love. I, I just needed the reality of God's unfailing love to be made fresh uh, and new to me. That, that love is both the noun and the verb. It's the person of Christ, and it's the things that he does, that Jesus Christ himself is love. When we talk about love, we're talking about Jesus. And the unfailing portion of that is that it's, that it's without limit, it's without reservation, it's without disqualification, right? That there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ that is so pure, it's so genuine, it's so authentic that it expects nothing in return. It just simply loves because that's its essence. That's the person of Jesus Christ's love. I love, um, I like looking at the example of Jesus and he gives us this amazing example of, of love. And now while we were still sinners, right? While we were still sinners, we are still sinners, we will most likely continue to still be sinners. And that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And not only did he, like, he didn't, well, he didn't just die for us, but he said, no one takes my life, I freely give it. And then even in the process of his life being taken from him, he forgave those that were taking his life because they didn't know what they were doing. Right, who does that? <laughs> My heavenly father does that. His unfailing love does that. Every day we have an opportunity to walk in that unfailing love. And it's not only ours to just walk in and and love and and all that, but it's ours to give. It's ours to reciprocate. The most awkward exchange in any relationship is when the love word starts to come into, into a relationship. And one person says to another party, I love you. And the other party responds by saying, you're neat. <laughs> what? 
nice sweater. Uh, what? Okay. The most awkward thing that is, is not to have that love reciprocated. And we serve a God who's going to love us unfailingly. Scripture already makes that clear. But I don't want to make God feel awkward in that when God says, I love you, I don't say, I love you too. Right? And the ways that I can say I love you too is simply by saying that to Christ, and it's also in the way in which I treat other people. One of the best ways in which you say that you love Christ is how you treat each other. Scripture says that this is how people will know that we're his disciples, by how we love each other. So we understand this love thing. It's a pretty important, a pretty powerful thing. And not only do we understand it as important and powerful, but also understand this. Um, we live in this tension of John 10.10, 10, where Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, but Jesus comes that we might have life, life to its fullest. And so we live in this, with this power of love and this tension that exists there. And so we know it's important, but also Satan knows it's important. And because of that, it's old school. It's the oldest trick, but it's the most effective trick the best thing that Satan can do is to try to tell us that we're not loved. Yeah, that everybody else might be loved unfailingly, but somehow you're disqualified, right? That somehow because of this experience or that experience or, you know, whatever. And it's so important. One of the things that I, that I had to look at and I'm going to encourage you to look at is, is to know what it is that you're loved in spite of. What is it that, that thing that, that Satan would tell you, oh, yeah, you can't be loved because of this. Again, that's a blank I can't fill in. Only you know what that is. But what is it that you're loved in spite of? In my life, over the last year, what I had to look at, this was a tough one. Um, for whatever reason, God has always blessed me. I, I don't want to say life's always been easy, but I will say life hasn't necessarily always been that hard. The churches that I've been able to be a part of have been, have been bigger churches and uh, had lots of resource and all that kind of stuff. And, and the things that I was able to put my hands to were, were generally successful. And what began to happen in my life was the unfailing love thing uh, got messed up. And what I had to go back to and what I had to remember was this concept of sonship. Because I was very performance orientated. Like my love language, for those of you familiar with that terminology, my love language is, is acts of service. My wife's is, uh, is words of affirmation. Um, so she doesn't need, a, or I don't need a whole lot of compliments. I just need you to get stuff done. I'm the jerk. Um, and, and my wife, she just, she just wants to be, just, you, look, you look awesome today, honey. If I, if I didn't say that in front of everybody, because that's bonus points. Um, okay? But in my life, sonship uh, kind of got messed up, and I became way too performance-orientated. It became way too much about what I could get done. And, and I kind of became known, even in the office, like, hey, you need it done, have Jeremy do it. Jeremy will get it done. And that was cool because it kind of elevated me, but what it did, again, was it messed me up. And what I had to come to remember was that I was called a child of God before I was ever called pastor, right? And for each and every single one of us that we're called children of God before it is whatever it is that we do. This is simplicity in the power of being, right, a child of God. And that really helped shape for me what that unfailing love looked like, what I needed it to look like. Uh, last part of this, of this passage, with the Lord, there's unfailing love. His redemption overflows. I just, man, redemption, man, it's salvation. That's what it's all about, right? It's God's go green initiative long before it was ever a popular buzz phrase for us, man. It was God recycling, reusing, you know, reducing, whatever. It was God repurposing all the stuff of our lives and bringing value to it. 
I've, uh, I, I just, I became blown away at the concept of redemption this last year. And, and right, you have to be able to laugh at yourself because everybody else already is. Um, that was funny. Um, and I became just blown away at the concept of redemption, looking at my own life and looking at some of the scenarios that God had put me in and the opportunities that God had given me and go, why, why me? Why, God, why are you so good to me? What, you know, again, and, that, and then a lot of that flowed from me finally figuring out sonship. That's why, because I'm a son. But really just, really just seeing God take some of my junk, some of the things that I would have thought disqualified me from ministry and redeem it. I've seen God take so many of my mistakes and turn them into ministry that, that it's just undeniably clear that I know that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing because he's redeemed me. Scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I mean, it's my great privilege. It's, I'm humbled that I even get to stand before you this morning and speak God's word to you to try to engraft it into our lives. Just the simple, the big takeaway that I want to make sure that I've done an adequate job of drilling home is, uh, is just this whole concept of when we connect to the heart of God, when we are with the Lord, when we draw close to him, that he might draw close to us, when we understand his unfailing love, when we understand the plan of redemption that he has for us, our lives can't help but overflow. And again, overflow is not a promise of prosperity and easiness and all that kind of stuff. It's just the reality of his presence and his character evidenced in your everyday life. Right now, for Laura and I, um, our overflow experience is just, it's ridiculously cool. It's awesome. To think a year ago that we'd be where we are now, I, I jokingly, I jokingly told Laura for, for years on end, man, I would work for Aaron Cole in a heartbeat. I would work for Pastor Aaron in a heartbeat. And to be here, and you're, maybe that may make sense to you, that may not make, why would you want to work for him? I, I think he's awesome. I don't, you know, it's not a bromance thing or anything like that, but I think he's awesome. <laughs> man, I love, I love people of vision. I love the passion that he has for the church and all that it is capable of being. And the, the people that he, can, that he can bring on board and the fact that you're here and you're on board with that is huge. And to just look at the overflowing work of God, the redemptive work of God in our lives. The last little thing that I threw on there was uh, something to the effect of uh, God continues to redeem your life because you're called. The reason God continues to redeem our lives, the reason redemption is an overflowing thing, because God made a personal investment in you when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your and my sins. And, and, and not only was it for the remission of sins, but it was for his purposes. Because he, when, when that happened, he also put calling and he also put purpose in you. And one of the things that you need to know for yourself about 2011 is what is it that I'm called to do in 2011? What is it that God's purpose to me to do? And again, it just couldn't be more clear for Laura and I, the overflow that God's doing in our hearts and our lives right now that we're doing exactly what we're called to do. And I, I don't mean to stick it in anybody's face or anything like that, but I, I tell you, it, it, it just it never felt so good. And again, this isn't, it's not about us because it's in spite of me that God has done all these things, right? And what he's done for me, his greatest desire is to do for you as well. I'm not telling you our story to make you think any more highly of us because, man, it's all about Christ. 
what God did for me, I could not do for myself. And as I look forward to this uh, West Campus and the overflow that I, that I anticipate and I pray for and I long for happening in this West Campus, the new volunteer opportunities that are going to be presented both here and in the West Campus, that we're going to need people that, that maybe, maybe you're used to warming a pew that you're now going to have an opportunity to step up and lead. Maybe there's been friends that you've wanted to invite to church, but man, I don't know that I can ask them to drive 30, 40 minutes or whatever that I drive because I'm committed and I'm willing to do that, but I can't ask my unsaved friends to do that. Guess what? It's not going to be an obstacle anymore. We're doing it. I'm so thankful for the overflow that's taken place in Pastor Aaron's heart that he's gotten the green light from God and it's been a, a passion and a desire of his and now he's saying, let's do it. And you as a church, you're crazy enough to believe him and say, yeah, let's do it as well. Right? I'm excited for overflow to take place in 2011. I'm excited for God to do exceedingly and abundantly more than what you or I can ask or imagine. It's the overflow. The band's gonna just uh, play for us a little bit. And what I wanna do is just this morning, I wanna ask you a few questions and the band's gonna, band's gonna play a song. And all it's gonna simply do is just provide you an opportunity to do some reflection. It's not gonna be enough time by any means but it'll be some time and it'll get the ball rolling and hopefully it'll plant a seed in your life of something that you want to continue to pursue for what is it that God that you have for my life for 2011? How is it that you're calling me to overflow? They're on your, uh, it's in your bulletin, it's on your notes. I want to ask you, or I want you to ask yourself, what's in specific area in your life this year that you want to operate in overflow? What is it that you would say, man, God, if I'm going to be honest with myself, I'm a, maybe I'm a little bit lacking in this. I need your help. Secondly, you can't have overflow if you don't have inflow. And so how is it that you plan to specifically, consistently connect with the heart of God? What's your plan? How's it going to happen? And it can't just be a desire. It can't just be a really good intention. There's some strong quotes that I like. I say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The hell is roofed with lost opportunities. And so it can't just be a desire. It's got to be a desire that gets fleshed out in a discipline and a discipline that determines a direction and a direction that ultimately determines a destiny. So how is it that you plan to consistently connect with the heart of God? Thirdly, I'd ask you, what's your impossible prayer for 2011? What's the thing that honestly only God can do? And this, this isn't true, but imagine with me if this were true. What if God were only as big as the prayers we prayed? How big would God be? What things in your life would change? So I challenge you to just pray something huge. Pray something seemingly impossible. Be it your family, be it your marriage, be it your finances, be it lost sons and daughters, whatever it may be, find something impossible and bring it to the throne room of Christ consistently. And lastly, I'll just ask you, what is it? What is it that's holding you back from having your best year ever? How foolish would it be for me to get up here and preach a sermon about how, how great of a pastor I'm going to be in 2015? Man, in 2015, man, you need to be here. It's going to be great. I'm going to be the best father, the best husband, the best whatever. 
Why can't that happen now? And in your life, why can't whatever you greatly desire to be and to do, why can't that happen this year? I like this, this thought. It's an annoying little thought. But what is it that gets in the way? Galatians 5, 7 talks about how you were running the good race. What cut in on you? What got in the way? And that might be real easy for you to pull up from some of your experiences this last year. It may be something that comes from out of nowhere. But I wouldn't be a good pastor. I wouldn't be a good friend if I didn't tell you there will be things that will get in the way of whatever it is that you're trying to become. But greater is he that is in us than he that's in this world. And God's greatest desire for you is that you would overflow.